0: Chapter Fourteen of Wieland, or the Transformation, an American Tale by Charles Brockton Brown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. Three days have elapsed since this occurrence. I have been haunted by perpetual inquietude. To bring myself to regard Carwin without terror and to acquiesce in the belief of your safety was impossible. Yet to put an end to my doubts seemed to be impracticable if some light could be reflected on the actual situation of this man a direct path would present itself if he were contrary to the tenor of his conversation cunning and malignant to apprise you of this would be to place you in security if he were merely unfortunate and innocent most readily would i espouse his cause and if his intentions were upright with regard to you most eagerly would i sanctify your choice by my approbation it would be vain to call upon carwin for an avowal of his deeds it was better to know nothing than to be deceived by an artful tale what he was unwilling to communicate and this unwillingness had been repeatedly manifested could never be extorted from him importunity might be appeased or imposture affected by fallacious representations to the rest of the world he was unknown i had often made him the subject of discourse but a glimpse of his figure in the street was the sum of their knowledge who knew most none had ever seen him before and received as new the information which my intercourse with him in Valencia and my present intercourse enabled me to give wieland was your brother if he had really made you the object of his courtship was not a brother authorized to interfere and demand from him the confession of his views yet what were the grounds on which i had reared this supposition would they justify a measure like this surely not in the course of my restless meditations it occurred to me at length that my duty required me to speak to you to confess the indecorum of which i had been guilty and to state the reflections to which it had led me i was prompted by no mean or selfish views the heart within my breast was not more precious than your safety most cheerfully would i have interposed my life between you and danger would you cherish resentment at my conduct when acquainted with the motive which produced it it would not only exempt me from censure but entitle me to gratitude yesterday had been selected for the rehearsal of the newly imported tragedy i promised to be present the state of my thoughts but little qualified me for a performer or auditor in such a scene but i reflected that after it was finished i should return home with you and should then enjoy an opportunity of discoursing with you fully on this topic my resolution was not formed without a remnant of doubt as to its propriety when i left this house to perform the visit i had promised my mind was full of apprehension and despondency the dubiousness of the event of our conversation fear that my interference was too late to secure your peace and the uncertainty to which hope gave birth whether i had not erred in believing you devoted to this man or at least in imagining that he had obtained your consent to midnight conferences distracted me with contradictory opinions and repugnant emotions i can assign no reason for calling it mrs bayton's i had seen her in the morning and knew her to be well the concerted hour had nearly arrived and yet i turned up the street which leads to her house and dismounted at her door i entered the parlor and threw myself in a chair i saw and inquired for no one my whole frame was overpowered by dreary and comfortless sensations one idea possessed me wholly the inexpressible importance of unveiling the designs and character of carwin and the utter improbability that this ever would be effected some instinct induced me to lay my hand upon a newspaper i had perused all the general intelligence it contained in the morning and at the same spot the act was rather mechanical than voluntary i drew a languid glance at the first column that presented itself the first words which i read began with the offer of a reward of three hundred guineas for the apprehension of a convict under sentence of death who had escaped from newgate prison in dublin good heaven how every fibre of my frame tingled when i proceeded to read that the name of the criminal was francis carwin the descriptions of his person and address were minute his stature hair complexion the extraordinary position and arrangement of his features his awkward and disproportionate form his gesture and gait corresponded perfectly with those of our mysterious visitant he had been found guilty in two indictments one for the murder of the lady jane conway and the other for a robbery committed on the person of the honourable mr ludlow i repeatedly peruse this passage the ideas which flowed in upon my mind affected me like an instant transition from death to life the purpose nearest to my heart was thus effected at a time and by means the least of all others within the scope of my foresight but what purpose karun was detected acts of the blackest and most sordid guilt had been committed by him here was evidence which imparted to my understanding the most luminous certainty the name visage and deportment were the same between the time of his escape and his appearance among us there was sufficient agreement such was the man with whom i suspected you to maintain a clandestine correspondence should i not haste to snatch you from the talons of this vulture should i see you rushing to the verge of a dizzy precipice and not stretch forth a hand to pull you back i had no need to deliberate i thrust the paper in my pocket and resolved to obtain an immediate conference with you for a time no other image made its way to my understanding at length it occurred to me that though the information i possessed was in one sense sufficient yet if more could be obtained more was desirable the passage was copied from a british paper part of it only perhaps was transcribed the printer was in possession of the original towards his house i immediately turned my horse's head he produced the paper but i found nothing more than had already been seen while busy in perusing it the printer stood by my side he noticed the object of which i was in search ay said he that is a strange affair i should never have met with it had not mr hallet sent to me the paper with a particular request to republish that advertisement mr hallet what reasons could he have for making this request had the paper sent to him been accompanied by any information respecting the convict had he personal or extraordinary reasons for desiring its republication this was to be known only in one way i speeded to his house in answer to my interrogations, he told me that Ludlow had formerly been in America, and that during his residence in this city, considerable intercourse had taken place between them. Hence a confidence arose, which had since been kept alive by occasional letters. He had lately received a letter from him, enclosing the newspaper from which this extract had been made. He put it into my hands, and pointed out the passages which related to Carwin. Ludlow confirms the facts of his conviction and escape, and adds that he had reason to believe him to have embarked for america he describes him in general terms as the most incomprehensible and formidable among men as engaged in schemes reasonably suspected to be in the highest degree criminal but such as no human intelligence is able to unravel that his ends are pursued by means which leave it in doubt whether he be not in league with some infernal spirit that his crimes have hitherto been perpetrated with the aid of some unknown but desperate accomplices that he wages a perpetual war against the happiness of mankind and sets his engines of destruction at work against every object that presents itself this is the substance of the letter hallet expressed some surprise at the curiosity which was manifested by me on this occasion i was too much absorbed by the ideas suggested by this letter to pay attention to his remarks i shuddered with the apprehension of the evil to which our indiscreet familiarity with this man had probably exposed us I burnt with impatience to see you, and to do what in me lay to avert the calamity which threatened us. It was already five o'clock. Night was hastening, and there was no time to be lost. On leaving Mr. Hallett's house, who should meet me in the street, but Bertrand, the servant whom I left in Germany? His appearance and accoutrements bespoke him to have just alighted from a toilsome and long journey. I was not wholly without expectation of seeing him about this time, but no one was then more distant from my thoughts you know what means i have for anxiety respecting scenes with which this man was conversant carwin was for a moment forgotten in answer to my vehement inquiries bertrand produced a copious packet i shall not at present mention its contents nor the measures which they obliged me to adopt i bestowed a brief perusal on these papers and having given some directions to bertrand resumed my purpose with regard to you my horse i was obliged to resign to my servant he being charged with the commission that required speed the clock had struck ten and mettingen was five miles distant i was to journey thither on foot these circumstances only added to my expedition as i passed swiftly along i reviewed all the incidents accompanying the appearance and deportment of that man among us late events have been inexplicable and mysterious beyond any of which i have either read or heard these events were coeval with carwin's introduction i am unable to explain their origin and mutual dependence but i do not on that account believe them to have a supernatural origin is not this man the agent some of them seem to be propitious but what should i think of those threats of assassination with which you were lately alarmed bloodshed is the trade and horror is the element of this man THE PROCESS BY WHICH THE SYMPATHIES OF NATURE ARE EXTINGUISHED IN OUR HEARTS, BY WHICH EVIL IS MADE OUR GOOD, AND BY WHICH WE ARE MADE SUSCEPTIBLE OF NO ACTIVITY BUT IN THE INFLICTION, AND NO JOY BUT IN THE SPECTACLE OF WOES, IS AN OBVIOUS PROCESS. AS TO AN ALLIANCE WITH EVIL GENIUSES, THE POWER AND THE MALICE OF DEMONS HAVE BEEN A THOUSAND TIMES EXEMPLIFIED IN HUMAN BEINGS. THERE ARE NO DEVILS BUT THOSE WHICH ARE BEGOTTEN UPON SELFISHNESS, AND REARED BY CUNNING. NOW, INDEED, THE SCENE WAS CHANGED. It was not his secret poniard that i dreaded it was only the success of his efforts to make you a confederate in your own destruction to make your will the instrument by which he might bereave you of liberty and honour i took as usual the path through your brother's ground i ranged with celerity and silence along the bank i approached the fence which divides whelan's estate from yours the recess in the bank being near this line it being necessary for me to pass near it my mind being tainted with inveterate suspicions concerning you, suspicions which were indebted for their strength to incidents connected with this spot, what wonder that it seized upon my thoughts. I leaped on the fence, but before I descended on the opposite side, I paused to survey the scene. Leaves dropping with dew and glistening in the moon's rays, with no moving object to molest the deep repose, filled me with security and hope. I left the station at length and tended forward. You were probably at rest how should i communicate without alarming you the intelligence of my arrival an immediate interview was to be procured i could not bear to think that a minute should be lost by remissness or hesitation should i knock at the door or should i stand under your chamber windows which i perceived to be open and awaken you by my calls these reflections employed me as i passed opposite to the summer-house i had scarcely gone by when my ear caught a sound unusual at this time and place it was almost too faint and too transient to allow me a distinct perception of it. I stopped to listen. Presently it was heard again, and now it was somewhat in a louder key. It was laughter, and unquestionably produced by a female voice. That voice was familiar to my senses. It was yours. Whence it came, I was at first at a loss to conjecture, but this uncertainty vanished when it was heard the third time. I threw back my eyes towards the recess. Every other organ and limb was useless to me. I did not reason on the subject. I did not in a direct manner draw my conclusions from the hour the place the hilarity which the sound betokened and the circumstance of having a companion which it no less incontestably proved in an instant as it were my heart was invaded with cold and the pulses of life at a stand why should i go further why should i return should i not hurry to a distance from a sound which though formerly so sweet and delectable was now more hideous than the shrieks of owls I had no time to yield to this impulse the thought of approaching and listening occurred to me i had no doubt of which i was conscious yet my certainty was capable of increase i was likewise stimulated by a sentiment that partook of rage i was governed by an half-formed and tempestuous resolution to break in upon your interview and strike you dead with my abrading i approached with the utmost caution when i reached the edge of the bank immediately above the summer-house i thought i heard voices from below as busy in conversation the steps in the rock are clear of bushy impediments they allowed me to descend into a cavity beside the building without being detected thus to lie in wait could only be justified by the momentousness of the occasion here pliel paused in his narrative and fixed his eyes upon me situated as i was my horror and astonishment at this tale gave way to compassion for the anguish which the countenance of my friend betrayed i reflected on his force of understanding i reflected on the powers of my enemy i could easily divine the substance of the conversation that was overheard carwin had constructed his plot in a manner suited to the characters of those whom he had selected for his victims i saw that the convictions of pleyel were immutable i forbore to struggle against the storm because i saw that all struggles would be fruitless i was calm but my calmness was the torpor of despair and not the tranquillity of fortitude it was calmness invincible by anything that his grief and his fury could suggest to pliel. He resumed. Woman, wilt thou hear me further? Shall I go on to repeat the conversation? Is it shame that makes thee tongue-tied? Shall I go on? Or art thou satisfied with what has been already said? I bowed my head. Go on, said I. I make not this request in the hope of undeceiving you. I shall no longer contend with my own weakness. The storm is let loose and I shall peaceably submit to be driven by its fury. But go on. This conference will only end with affording me a clearer foresight of my destiny. But that will be some satisfaction, and I will not part without it. Why, on hearing these words, did Plyall hesitate? Did some unlooked-for doubt insinuate itself into his mind? Was his belief suddenly shaken by my looks or my words, or by some newly recollected circumstance? Whensoever it arose, it could not endure the test of deliberation in a few minutes the flame of resentment was again lighted up in his bosom he proceeded with his accustomed vehemence i hate myself for this folly i can find no apology for this tale yet i am irresistibly impelled to relate it she that hears me is apprised of every particular i have only to repeat to her her own words she will listen with a tranquil air and the spectacle of her obduracy will drive me to some desperate act why then should i persist yet persist i must again he paused no said he it is impossible to repeat your avowals of love your appeals to former confessions of your tenderness to former deeds of dishonour to the circumstances of the first interview that took place between you it was on that night when i traced you to this recess thither had he enticed you and there had you ratified an unhallowed compact by admitting him great god thou witnessed the agonies that tore my bosom at that moment thou witnessed my efforts to repel the testimony of my ears it was in vain that you dwelt upon the confusion which my unlooked-for summons excited in you the tardiness with which a suitable excuse occurred to you your resentment that my impertinent intrusion had put an end to that charming interview a disappointment for which you endeavoured to compensate yourself by the frequency and duration of subsequent meetings in vain you dwelt upon incidents of which you only could be conscious incidents that occurred on occasions on which none beside your own family were witnesses in vain was your discourse characterized by peculiarities inimitable of sentiment and language my conviction was affected only by an accumulation of the same tokens i yielded not but to evidence that took away the power to withhold my faith my sight was of no use to me beneath so thick an umbrage the darkness was intense hearing was the only avenue to information which the circumstances allowed to be open i was couched within three feet of you why should i approach nearer I could not contend with your betrayer what could be the purpose of a contest you stood in no need of a protector what could i do but retire from the spot overwhelmed with confusion and dismay i sought my chamber and endeavored to regain my composure the door of the house which i found open your subsequent entrance closing and fastening it and going into your chamber which had been thus long deserted were only confirmations of the truth why should i paint the tempestuous fluctuation of my thoughts between grief and revenge between rage and despair why should i repeat my vows of eternal implacability and persecution and the speedy recantation of these vows i have said enough you have dismissed me from a place in your esteem what i think and what i feel is of no importance in your eyes may the duty which i owe myself enable me to forget your existence in a few minutes i go hence be the maker of your fortune and may adversity instruct you in that wisdom which education was unable to impart to you those were the last words which Pliel uttered he left the room and my new emotions enabled me to witness his departure without any apparent loss of composure as i sat alone i ruminated on these incidents nothing was more evident than that i had taken an eternal leave of happiness life was a worthless thing separate from that good which had now been wrested for me yet the sentiment that now possessed me had no tendency to palsy my exertions and overbear my strength i noticed that the light was declining and perceived the propriety of leaving this house i placed myself again in the chase and returned slowly towards the city End of chapter fourteen